Thank God for salvation. Yes. Thank God for sanctification. Yes. And speaking of, tonight we're going to finish our class. We started last week on sanctification. And tonight, last week, we focused mostly on God's part, how God sanctifies us, how he sets us apart through Jesus Christ, through his word, through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, for that special purpose of being his people and accomplishing his will and his work in the world. Now, God can be trusted to do his part. I think we could all agree on that. God will do what God has said that he will do. However, there is an aspect of sanctification that is assigned to us as believers. God sanctifies us, but we are also told to sanctify ourselves. And that will be the uh, focus of what we talk about tonight. If you still have your notes from last week, we would be on number nine, the pursuit of sanctification. Now, I'm using sanctification because it's a doctrinal word, but I do want to make sure we understand that the Bible makes very uh, little distinction. As a matter of fact, the same word in the Greek that is translated sanctify or sanctification in some passages is translated as holy or holiness in other passages. So sanctification and holiness really are uh, just two different shades of meaning of the same word. And uh, sanctification probably is used more often when it's uh, uh, described as setting apart or, you know, being dedicated to the purpose of God. Holiness is usually used more often when it refers to the state or the condition of something that is set apart. So, but even that, they, the use is not consistent in every context. So if you want to read holiness, if you want to read sanctification, in most cases, we're, we're going to be very close to the same idea. Uh, but let's talk a minute for about that, that word holiness, because in my tradition, in the tradition of the Church of God, we tend to use the word holiness more than we use sanctification. Uh, and we use it because it generally connotes the moral aspect. To be holy is not simply to be set apart, but it's to be morally pure, morally upright, undefiled, unprofaned. It is to be blameless. It is to have that moral quality of goodness and of perfection that we associate with God. As a matter of fact, the word holy is used more as a description of God than it is for anything else, including the person of God that we know as the Holy Spirit. So that word holy just really emphasizes that uh, moral condition of being good, of being right, of being just, of being without flaw, without sin, without defilement. And we are commanded by God, who has sanctified us, to pursue that holiness, to pursue that sanctification by sanctifying ourselves. So how do we do that? 
We can trust God to do his part, but how do we do our part? So we're going to look at a series of scriptures tonight dealing with uh, the role that is assigned to us. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 6, if you want to open your Bibles there. I'm going to read verses 17 through 22. And let's understand that it all begins, and I, I, I don't want to go back over the whole class that we went through last night, but sanctification is an aspect of our salvation. You have to be saved. You have to have faith in Christ Jesus. And so that's the, the first thing, if we're going to be sanctified people, the first thing we got to do is believe the gospel, believe in Jesus, that, that faith, that salvation by grace through faith, that is the initial step that we take to sanctify ourselves. You know, we, we in the holiness traditions, we don't always emphasize that with a lot of clarity. We focus, we tend to get, try to get people sanctified before we even get them saved. And it doesn't always work very well. You know, if a person doesn't have saving faith, the sanctifying part isn't going to make a whole lot of difference. They might be a nicer person to be around, but it's not going to affect the soul as it should. So putting faith aside as a, as a given, what are the next steps? And Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 17, says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So we see in this passage, the translators use the word holiness instead of sanctification, but it is still that same idea that uh, we are to pursue. We have an active role. Holiness is an active activity. It is something that we pursue by our own conduct and behavior, and that behavior is described in terms of obedience. So if you were to put the top of your list, if you're a list maker, you'd put faith number one. And then number two, how do I pursue sanctification? I pursue it by obeying the Word of God, by presenting all the members. And we say the members of our bodies, uh, we can break that down. But, you know, I think it certainly would apply to our, our mind, where we think. And our actions, what we do with our hands, the words that we speak with our mouths, the places we let our feet take us, right? 
We present all of the members of our bodies as slaves to the obedience to the Word of God. We do the things we're commanded to do by the Word of God. We do the things that we know are holy. We do the things that we know are right. The doing of those things and the obedience to uh, the Word of God, to the commandments of God. We're not saved by obedience, but we can be sanctified by obedience. The, the not coveting, the not committing adultery, the not taking the Lord's name in vain, the not uh, uh, making of idols, the things, you know, the things the Bible tells us not to do, plus the things the Bible tells us to do, including the first and great commandment, which is, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. So, by by choosing to yield our members to these activities, by submitting and obeying the Word of God, we partake and participate in our own sanctification. And, you know, to, just to reverse it, to look at the other side, if we're disobedient, if we're rebellious, if we're lawless, we would lose the sanctification. All right. Any comments or questions on that aspect? I, um, I heard a guy say one time that I thought was really good. Um, he said, you're always going to be serving somebody. You know what I mean? Like, when you reject God, then you really are ultimately choosing to just serve yourself. You know what I mean? And, and push yourself above God. You're always going to be serving somebody. But obedience really is the best way to show God that you're in that, that you're in that relationship with them, that you're in that covenant, and that because you, you will, you're always, whether you want to or not, you're always going to be serving somebody. And so being really is the best um, alternative to show God that you are in that covenant with Him and that you, you know, you're with Him. Amen. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you can use an analogy in some situations, uh, uh, like with a parent and a child. Yeah, the, 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 the obedient child versus the disobedient child, certainly there's some limits on to how far the analogy will go. But obviously, if we claim to love God and we claim to desire a relationship with God, then we would certainly, I think, a starting point would be doing what we're told to do. Yeah. You know, if, if we were told to love ourselves, love God, love our neighbors, that's that seems to me to be the best place to start. And, you know, there's always going to be other things to add on as you go. But to do something intentionally that you know is against the law of God, the Word of God, the will of God, is um, well, it's a very selfish thing to do. And it shows that you're not completely submitted, not completely surrendered to the relationship that you're claiming to have with the Lord. So we'll go to the next scripture, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. There, Paul writes, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So not only are we to do good things and do what we know is right, but we are to remove, cleanse, and purge anything in our life 
that we know is displeasing to God. Certainly when we come to God for salvation, we're coming to him because we recognize that our life is not pleasing to God, that we have sinned, that we are living below the level or the standard of what is righteous, what is just, what is good. Uh, So it would make sense, having surrendered to God and having been saved, that we would take those aspects of our life that are not righteous, not holy, and we would remove them to the extent that we can. Now, this can be um, painful, right? I don't know if anyone understands or, you know, wants to share, you know, their own personal experience, but, you know, if you're used to certain habits, certain activities, being part of a certain group or in a certain kind of relationship, you know, having to suddenly say, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be with this person anymore. I'm not going to, not going to engage in this activity anymore can be very, can be very painful to go through. Um, and, you know, especially if you've really you know, got to the point where, you know, just use a couple of obvious examples. I don't want to, to make it too personal, but, you know, there's a lot of people that come to the Lord and have a, a drinking habit or smoking habit, or they're using recreational drugs. Well, these things are very addictive. You come to the Lord, you realize all of a sudden, okay, I shouldn't be getting high, or I shouldn't be getting drunk, I shouldn't be polluting my body this way, but separating yourself from those things isn't just a matter of, for most people, it isn't just a matter of, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, there's, you know there's, you really have to go to God. You have to pray. You have to really ask God to help you. And sometimes you have to go to friends and family and members of the church and enter into covenant arrangements where somebody's holding you accountable. Or imagine a scenario, well, let's say you come to the Lord, and before you came to the Lord, let's say you've been living with someone you're not married to. You're in a sexual relationship with someone you're not married to. The um, Lord says, you got to sanctify yourself. you got to cut yourself off from that. Well, there's a lot of things that could be involved in it. There could be kids involved. You know, there could be a home. You know, families involved. You know, it could be very, very, uh, you know, if the person you're with doesn't want to go ahead and sanctify the relationship, get married, you know, you have to say, okay, I can't, I can't be with you anymore. And there's all kind of emotional uh, entanglements. So it's not just about the flesh in every scenario. He says, notice, emphasis here, cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So it's not just a matter of cleaning up the outside. You've got to clean up the inside. And that's where we really emphasize, a lot of the old holiness preachers would emphasize that cathartic leaving it on the altar experience, going to God, that David moment where you go to God and you say, I know that this isn't right, and I know this isn't pleasing, and you've got to help me. You've got to deliver me. And I don't know that, you know, I, I wonder sometimes, and maybe, maybe we can spark a conversation here. I, I wonder sometimes if we still believe that God can deliver us from every sin. You know, the Bible talks about besetting sins, right? You know what that means, a besetting sin? That's a sin that clings. That's a sin that you thought you put it away and it comes back. 
it reinvents itself in new and different ways. Just when you think you're over it and you passed it, it rears back up again. And, and uh, you, know, you really have to, you know, this is where sanctification isn't just a matter of your will. Obviously, if it was just a matter of will, some people say, well, you just have enough willpower, right? Ah, if, you, if you weren't so weak, well, it's not, a, <laughs> it's not a matter sometimes of willpower or weakness. Sometimes something's got a hold of you, and it's got a real hold of you, and you've got to, you've got to really go to God and get deliverance, not just forgiveness. We always ask for forgiveness, but you've got to get deliverance. God, you've got to deliver me from this sin because I can't do this on my own. Anyone have any comments or questions on that? You church may have had a similar because it seems like for a long time uh, there was kind of a legalistic mindset. This, this, let's get them to dress right. Let's get them to behave right. Um, let's, like you're talking about getting cleaned up from the house. I first. And instead of just like, but like you, you said, I have faith in the movie. And so sometimes I wonder if the church maybe didn't drop the ball or, or play a role in like getting people, instead of like giving them that covenant and, and getting them in that relationship where they do just fall in love with Jesus, instead they try to get them to look the part and do the part. And, and that goes back to like maybe people nowadays don't think that God um, can break every sin and delivery or break every chain and like deliver you from and sanctify everything because we think it's on us. We feel a responsibility because that wasn't, that has been kind of taught. We feel a responsibility. You hear people say it all the time. Well, I got to get some things in line before I go back to church. And, and so we almost take the power away from God and think that it's on us to put things in order when really, like I know even, you know, in my whole like tiny 39 years of experience, I've, I've just now come to the realization, I've gotten on my knees many times to say, God, I don't know how to not do this anymore. I need you to help me. I don't know how to not be this way. I need you to take it from me. Like, I just recently I've had the realization that there are some behavioral things that I need to change that I can't. And so, like, God really kind of humbled me, and I had that realization that the only way I'm going to change because of him. Or because of him. But um, I think that, like, a lot of people have that mentality that I they, they take that, that kind of that responsibility away from God or, you know, that opportunity away from God. And so if it's on me to deliver, to fix everything, then it'll never be done. You know what I mean? And then you fail, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stop rambling now, but then you, like, you fail at things, and then you get mad at God. You know what I mean? When you try to fix it, if you would just lay it down and let him do it, like, he's not going to fail. But um, I know I rambled and said a lot of things, but you know where I was going with all that, right? Well, uh, let's let's go back a couple of verses here. I think maybe... Maybe we can help ourselves by reading the context of the verse that we read earlier from 2 Corinthians 7. If you go back to 2 Corinthians 6, the last um, part there being, you know, beginning, say, at verse 12, Paul says, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. That's what you're talking about. Our own affections is what's hindering us. You know, God has offered us every good thing, but we still want the not-so-good things. Uh, And he says uh, in verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord 
has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Then the next verse is the one where Paul says, therefore, having these promises. Notice how he characterizes that. He's not saying these threats, this condemnation, this judgment. He says these promises. What's the promise? The promise is, I will be your God. You will be my people. You will be my sons and daughters. That's the promise God makes. So, if we think it's all up to us, you know, we just think, well, somehow I've got to make myself good enough and holy enough for God. We're, we're going to get frustrated and defeated. At the same time, we can't just sit back and say, well, if God wants me to stop, he'll just make me stop. Because Paul assigns a responsibility here. The responsibility is your affections need to be redirected. You need to break the unequal yokes. And we could... We could spend a class talking about unequal yokes, right? Unequal yokes can be romantic. They can be economic. They can be social. If I were to go down your Facebook screen tonight, how many unequal yokes would I see? You know? And as long if I was the, you know, uh, and I'm not saying that, I know the old holiness mindset of be separate meant no TV, no radio, no restaurant, no ball game, no... Well, that's separate. They're not wrong. You know, they're, 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 they're certainly not wrong. That is very... I'm not sure that's what God is talking about. It may be in some respects. But basically, he's, he's saying, you know, if you're going, if you're going to be sanctified, and I, and I would agree with this, there's just some things you can't partake of just on principle, not because they themselves might necessarily be an evil thing, but because you can't handle it. You have a, you know, if you're a drunk, stay out of bars. If you are, if you are, you know, sexually uh, compromised, uh, don't go to strip clubs. And for heaven's sake, stay off the internet. You know, you have to take some responsibilities. I, I know, I have, I know, for the most part, we all have blind spots, but I know there are certain ways, certain things, certain areas, certain parts of my life that if I don't keep very tightly controlled, if I don't, if I don't monitor it constantly, it'll get away from me. You know, it'll get away from any of us. So it's a two-part equation. But you know, your earlier point about trying to get people holy before we get them saved, before we get them, you know, we, we, there's a part of this we can't do. God has to do it. And part of that is that new heart, that new mind that comes through regeneration comes with a new set of desires and affections. And I, I said it last week, and I want to say it again. There is no sanctifying the sinful nature. All right? The Bible ever only tells us to do one thing with the sinful nature, and that's crucify it. You've got to take the old nature. So... Where we get confused is the Bible uses the term the flesh. Sometimes 
in the context of the sinful nature, and sometimes it uses the term the flesh in the context of our physical bodies. And it's really hard. You can see the distinction in, in, in the first verse of chapter 7, where he talks about the flesh and the spirit, right? So he's talking about those carnal sins and those spiritual sins. What's a carnal sin? Sexual immorality, right? What's a spiritual sin? Pride, right? Greed, right? Lust, right? So it's not just a matter of getting your body under control. You've got to get your mind under control. <laughs> you know, if you think about something long enough, eventually you're going to do it. And God is the only one who can transform our minds. You know? He say, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as living sacrifice. Right? That's part A. Surrender all my fleshly activity as a sacrifice unto God. That everything comes out of my mouth and everything that I do be a sweet, well-pleasing sacrifice to God. But he also says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4. All right, so let's begin at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. All right, so we already know he's talking about come out from among them and be separate, right? Don't behave like these people behave, all right? Having their understanding darkened. Why do they behave that way? Because their understanding is darkened. Why is their understanding darkened? Because they're alienated from the life of God. Someone, how can, how can otherwise rationally intelligent people today believe it's okay for a three-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old to choose whether they want to be a boy or a girl? What has gone wrong in their mind? Well, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and the blindness. What else is that but ignorance? You're just ignorant if you think that way. But if you're alienated from God, that's what happens to the mind. It becomes darkened. Paul talks in Romans chapter 1 about a reprobate mind, mind being given over to the darkness. Uh, because of the blindness of the heart, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So he's, there he's described the condition of the unsaved, unsanctified, unholy life. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness. And there's that word again, holiness. So he's telling us that we have a role to play here. That role is, he says here, to put off the old man. In Galatians, he says, crucify it. It's the same idea. You have to take that old sinful nature and you have got to strangle it, starve it, crucify it. Don't feed it anything. Don't give it any opportunity to rise up. Be diligent in your mind. He's not even, at this point, he's not even addressing 
the body. He's talking about the mind. The mind, the undisciplined mind, the unregenerate mind is, is you know, to quote the old ones, the devil's playground, right? And once he gets a hold of your mind, it just, you know, you find yourself doing all manner of, what does he use? Lewdness. That's a good, that's a good old word, lewdness and uncleanness, right? Doing despicable things. So how do we do that? How do we put, how do we get renewed in the spirit of our mind? How do we put on the new man? Well, who's the new man? The new man is the image of Christ, right? We're renewed in the image of Christ. That's the idea. Christ is our, our model. Be like Jesus, right? So how do we do that? Well, we need two things, right? We need the Spirit of Christ. He helps us, right? And we need the Word of Christ, right? So the only way to, re, uh, to rein in the old mind is to drown it in the fullness of the new mind, which is built on the Word and built on the character of Jesus Christ. And that's where, and it's hard for people to get this idea. We, we talked earlier about this idea of getting people to behave right. In one sense, yeah, that's, that's a waste of time if they're not saved. But in another sense, the more we partake of the things of the Lord, the more and the stronger and, and the more disciplined our mind and faith will become. They're not entirely wrong to say, watch how you dress. And we make a little joke about it sometimes, but they're not entirely wrong. How you dress matters. The places you go matter. The people you spend time with matter. They all are important because they all affect your mind. They all affect how you see yourself. Now, would I go so far as, you know, the, the no makeup, don't cut your hair, don't wear jewelry, and cover everything from your eyebrows to your toes? Honestly, if that's what it takes for you to stay holy, then yeah. If you can't handle T-shirts and shorts and flip-flops, don't wear them. You know, if for you to stay holy involves wrapping yourself from head to foot, Wrap yourself from head to foot. Now, would that apply to me? Well, no, I'm not you. This is, this is where that personal, a lot of times that personal conviction comes in, where I, I don't know how they do it, but there are some Christians that I know to be spirit-filled and love Jesus, and they've got no problem having a glass of wine with dinner. I couldn't. Right? If I had a glass of wine with dinner, my conscience would convict me. I would feel dirty. I would feel unclean. I would feel I had, you know, compromised my spiritual man. So I don't do it. I don't drink. You know, and you can apply that to a lot of situations. But the new mind, the new mind that's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness will never mislead you. If it's created according to God, who is the judge of what is truly righteous and holy? God, right? It's not for me to decide what holiness is. It's not for you to decide what holiness is. God's already decided. 
We don't need to reinvent this particular doctrine. God's already determined what is holy and what is not. So if we abide by the mind of Christ, if we abide by the conscience of the Holy Spirit, we'll always be doing what is righteous and holy. If we ignore that conscience, or we overrule it, or we, uh, we, we you know, through certain careless actions, we callous it, we, 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 we tamper down its voice, we, we quench the Spirit, right? He's about to write about that in the rest of the chapter. I'm not going to read it, but you can see all the things that he says are part of that old new mind. Well, let's look at some of them. Don't lie. Put away lies. Speak truth, right? He says, don't sin and be don't angry. Don't be angry and sin. Don't be wrathful. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Right? You can connect those two. When you hold grudges, when you allow yourself to dwell and and fester over what some perceived outrage, yeah, this is this is this is the national sport of the moment, right? I mean, every side now. Oh, did you see what so-and-so did? Oh, that's outrageous. And the other said, well, yeah, but not as outrageous as what your guy did. I mean, it's the stupidest nonsense you ever want to hear. How can, how, can we all just agree not to do anything bad? <laughs> do we have to compare badness? <laughs> I, I had that meeting at work not too long ago. Can we all just agree to stop lying? <laughs> Let's just stop lying in general. Lying's a bad thing, right? But yeah, if obviously if you're going to continue being deceitful, it's going to be really hard for that new mind to gain enough traction to really begin to change your lives. And the other things that don't steal, that, that would seem obvious, right? Don't take things that aren't yours. How many people compromise their sanctification because they take, the, they take something from work, you know? That they're not supposed to, they don't have permission. Obviously, there's a lot of places they give you permission, take whatever you want. But, you know, sometimes I used to tell my boss, and he told me to stop doing it. I used to tell my boss every time I would print out something for my Bible study on the, on the machine at work. I'd say, I owe you two pieces of paper. I owe you five pieces of paper. And finally he said, well, you just shut up. If you, just, if you want to print stuff, print stuff, whatever. We buy, pa- we buy paper in, you know, boxes this big. And so I got permission, so okay. But, you know, no, I'm not taking things that aren't mine. That's that. It's the little compromises. It's the little compromise. Most people don't get saved, sanctified, live a holy life, and then up and one one day decide to commit adultery, <laughs> out of the blue. Well, there's a pretty girl. I think I'll go sleep with her. That's not how it happens. It may ha- it may have happened once, but it's, a, it's you're sitting there across from her in church, or you're sitting there across from her at work, or you're you see her every day when you go get your lunch and. You allow yourself a little fantasy moment. Or maybe you, you watch stuff on the TV. You watch some movie on the TV. Oh, that girl looks just like the girl at whatever. You know? And, and it's the little... If you don't make the little compromises, you don't ever have to worry about the big one. But it's letting the little things build up. Uh, you know, don't, uh, don't have corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. How many of you need to clean up your language? You know? I mean, that's a big one. Right, any corrupt word come out of your mouth? What's a corrupt word? I mean, I think it can be 
<laughs> I mean, we all obviously know like the music we talk about. Yeah, but I think it could be just like aggressive words or even slanderous words. Like I think when I talk about corrupt words, that's what it's, it could be talking about those things as much as purpose. Oh, what did you say? What should come out of your mouth? That which is good for necessary edification. I like that word necessary. Yeah. Not all edification is necessary edification. It may be edifying to tell you, it may be edifying for someone to tell me that I need to lose 10 pounds or 50, but it's not necessary edification. Right? <laughs> it's edification, but not necessary. Um, only that which will impart some grace to the hearers. How'd you like, how about that as the governor for your conversation? Am I imparting any grace to the hearer? Wow. The world just became a much quieter place, didn't it? Because all the gossip and all the backbiting and all the, the did you know and did you see and did you hear, all that stops immediately, right? All of that stops immediately. If, you're, if, if the governor is, it has to impart some grace. Word of your mouth. And it's not even about them. Like you can be, you can be right. It's not even just about speaking what's right. It's necessary to help people. Yeah, a corrupt word is a word that's intended to tear somebody else down, not build them up. To mock. I mean, we, you know, we've raised. I've raised. I, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I, I'm as guilty as any parent were. We've raised the most sarcastic generation in history. Sarcasm is an out is an art form to this generation, and it's it's hurtful and it's disrespectful, and it's corrupt. And I've had to really work on myself on that over the years. I used to have a really not just a sarcastic sense of humor, but a darkly sarcastic sense of humor. And you know, these days, people wonder why I don't talk so much, except when I'm teaching Bible study. And it's because, you know what? You don't want to hear the stuff that, you know, used to come out of my mouth. Not, not profane. I was not a profane person. But I could take you down. I could puncture your balloon pretty quickly. And that's... And for no... And, and what makes it corrupt isn't whether or not it's true. What did you intend by it? The devil can speak the truth. But he never intends it for good. Right? He quoted scriptures accurately to Jesus, but he didn't have any good intentions in doing so. So this, this kind of standards for our own sanctification, our own pursuit of holiness, are, are really, as much as we want to say, God help me, a lot of this is self-inflicted. It's just self-inflicted. We just keep putting ourselves in the same position to fail over and over and over again. And it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Obviously, there's anything we, there's a number of things we can do with our mouths, with our bodies, that we know are grievous to the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, put it all away from you. And, and I love how he ends it. Just be kind. Holiness, for a lot of people, could be achieved if they would just be kind. Be kind, be tender-hearted, which is compassionate, be forgiving, even as God in Christ forgave you. So if you really want a, a, a master list of how to sanctify yourself, this, this, 
last half of chapter 4 of Ephesians is, is as good a place as you'll find in the scriptures. All right. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're not going to read all the rest of these scriptures because our time is, is getting away from us. But exercising self-control, knowing how to possess your own vessel, uh, is a big part of sanctifying ourselves. Uh, obviously, I know we've beat that horse pretty good tonight, but just knowing your limitations, knowing what you can be around, what you can't be around. And if you can't be around it, don't be around it. If there's someone in your life that you love them to death, but every time you're around them, you're a worse person, I'm sorry, get them saved or, or cut them off. You know, sanctify, you know, sanctify your life, sanctify your friends, sanctify all your relationships. Um, Hebrews, I think, I thought this was a real interesting one, talking about enduring chastening. When you ask God to help you become holy, be prepared. Because God takes such prayer seriously, <laughs> he begins to crack the whip. He begins to discipline you sometimes in our own estimation, harshly. But if you want to be sanctified, you have to endure the chastening. And the chastening can be heartbreaking. The chastening can be devastating. The chastening can make you reevaluate your whole life. The chastening may mean leaving everything you know behind and going to a completely different world. You know, But the chastening of God is to help us Become holy and stay holy. And that chastening is never pleasant. No one enjoys the whip. No one enjoys the belt. I know this generation doesn't understand what I'm talking about, but when I was growing up, you stepped out of line, you got the belt. There wasn't plead your case and make an argument. It was you learned quick. At least I did. I learned quick that, nope, cross the line, take your lumps, don't do it again. And that's the idea behind chasing. The idea behind chasing isn't because God enjoys punishing people. The idea is if you begin to associate sin with pain more than you do with pleasure, right? Because the, re- the real heart, let's be honest, the hardest reason for us to give up, the hardest reason why it's hard to give up sin is because we we perceive some sins as being very pleasurable and enjoyable, right? It's fun to go out with your friends and get a little drunk and, you know, fool around a little bit and, you know, and as long as you see that it's fun and it's enjoyable, it's going to be really hard, really hard to, to break that off. But the minute you begin to associate it with pain, with suffering, with heartbreak, with with physical pain, right? You begin to realize, oh, yeah, there's a reason why sin is bad. And it helps you move forward. Um, And, of course, it's, you know, the pursuit of righteousness. We have to constantly be, be pushing ourselves to do the right thing, pursue peace with all men and holiness with out which no one will see the Lord, according to Hebrews chapter 12. We can't be passive about our holiness. All right? Passive holiness, sitting back and just 
I said this the other day, and I, I think I've said it before, but I think this time I, I, I said it in such a way that I think it had a much better impact. You've all heard the phrase, go with the flow, right? That's a common phrase. Go with the flow. Sounds good, right? Where does the flow go? The flow always goes down the drain, right? Water flows to the lowest point. If you go with the flow, where do you end up? In the sewer. That's where the flow goes. You can't go with the flow. You got to go against the flow. <laughs> or you're going to end up in the sewer. Right? If you fall in a toilet, do you want to go with the flow? Really? That's where you want to go? You want to go with the flow? Okay. If you, want, if you fall in a river, you want to go with the flow? That's all good and wonderful until the flow goes over a waterfall. Until the flow goes into the underground, until the flow hits a bunch of rocks and white water, then all of a sudden going with the flow isn't much fun anymore. So we have to actively work against the, the, the sinful nature by pursuing the things we know are right and holy and good. We've got to be purposeful and intentional about those things. And then 1 John chapter 1 talks about the fellowship with Christ and those who are in Christ. Sanctification and holiness is not a solo journey. It's not a solo action, solo act. You need to be surrounded by holy people. And you need to be in fellowship with a holy God. This is not uh, a Rambo mission, me against the world. You'll lose, you'll lose every time. Fellowship with Christ is what? It's daily communion, confession, prayer, study, devotion, worship. Fellowship with those who are Christ is what? It's church. It's the community of Christ. It's having people, mentors, disciples. And it's also you being a mentor and a disciple. Because it's sometimes... The best way, and I've said it in this class, I learned so much from teaching these classes because of the reactions and the response and the feedback, and that helps me. When you're trying to pour into somebody else, you always get a return on your investment. You always get something back. So ministry, you know, always be about the Lord's business. And that will really work towards your sanctification. You know, I honestly just don't have time to sin. <laughs> I'm too busy doing too many things. Uh, sit around long enough, be idle long enough, do nothing for a long enough time. Where does the flow go? Down the drain. Now, so you've got to be active and purposeful in the pursuit, and you've got to stay in fellowship. And let me just make a commentary here. Just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're the right kind of Christian for you to be around. All right? I love everybody. Who, and I don't question. Somebody tells me they're a Christian, I don't question them. I don't say, well, you don't look much. I don't do that. But I say, you know what? You're not the kind of Christian that I can get anything good from. You know? 
I used to have a bunch of Christian friends who were all Calvinist. And I loved them. They loved Jesus. They did. I couldn't understand why, but they did. But they would drink and smoke and tell dirty jokes. I was like, look, can't do it. Can't be part of this. You're compromising. I'm compromised by being around you. So you've got to be a little selective. You know? Just as you're selective about, you know, I mean, you can't really choose your family, but you can choose those people in your family that you truly uh, bond with. And, and you got to be, you know, and some people get offended. Some people get mad. Uh, you know, we don't hang out anymore. That's right, we don't. You want to know why? Sure, why? Well, because you do a lot of stupid stuff. And I don't hear all the stupid stuff anymore. What are you talking about? Well, you know, you're over there carrying on with so-and-so, and you're doing this and you're doing that, and I just don't want that in my life. I want to be holy. Oh, they'll get so mad at you and cuss you out, but then you know, see, told you you weren't holy. You know, so it always works out that way. And when we do fall, don't be dismissive about it. If you fall, confess, repent. Deal with it immediately. You know, no one can say, at least this short of heaven, that they're going to live every day perfectly. But that doesn't mean it's okay to be imperfect. The closer you get to God, the more about yourself you will notice is not perfect. Don't just say, well, that's just, that's just the way I am. No, I'm sorry, God. I know this isn't right. Deal with sin directly. Always, always deal with it in the moment if you can. Certainly before the day is over. Make repair, make restitution to the person you may have hurt or offended. Go to God. I'm sorry. That was stupid. I don't know what came over me. Help me. I don't want to do that anymore. Confess your sin. You know, I know we're not Catholic, but the art of confession is real. Jesus, uh, Paul says to the church, confess your faults to one another. You know, get some people. You now, be careful about that. There's some people you can't trust with your vulnerability. So make sure the person you're confessing to is someone who will guard that and keep that and be, be someone you can be safe with. But absolutely. You say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. This is, this is just beating me up. You say, all right, if I call you or we meet for coffee or you know, we get together after work and so I can talk to you and maybe, maybe we can, I can draw some strength you know, and get over this. And God will always send you a a good person for it. God will always send you someone to help you with those things. And then, of course, love. When all else fails, if you really can't figure it out, just follow the first great commandment. Does this love God? All my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I doing them good? You know, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we can be a little unsure. Just right or wrong, if you apply the test of love, there's, there's two criteria the New Testament gives us for what is righteous. Whatsoever is of faith, whatsoever is of love. If you can do it out of faith in God and you can do it out of love for God, you're probably okay with it. Okay. Um, we've used our time. Some of the rest of the notes there, I think we've covered pretty good uh, in either last week or this week, but 
basically, I just remind you, when you're reading the Bible, you can read the word holy, righteous, or sanctification, and it's all generally talking about the same idea. And uh, remember, the sinful nature is never sanctified. You can't reason with it. You can't negotiate with it. You can't say, okay, I'm going to give you this little corner, but I'm going to keep everything else. Drive the nails in. Drive them deep. Stick the sinful nature to the cross. Leave it there. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Walk blameless and holy before the God your Father. Do the good works that you know to do. You are called. Every one of us who knows Jesus Christ is called to live a holy life. So let's get about it. Comments, questions, concerns? Uh, excuse me, Pastor. Did you send? Um, yes. Did you send the new notes for tonight? These are the same. This is the rest of the notes from last week. If you have last week's notes, oh. okay. this is number nine through fifteen. Okay, then. Thank you. Okay, dear. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? All right. Do I have any prayer requests? All right. Well, let's close it out in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to get into your word. Thank you for sanctifying us. Thank you for calling us to a holy life. Lord, we couldn't do it without your help. So thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. I just pray tonight, everyone who listens to this class tonight or listens on the podcast, they will look at their life, look at where they stand before you and feel that call, feel that desire to be holy, even as you are holy. And with your help, God, we shall certainly get there. I pray for each one, God, meet the need in every life tonight, God. And we just ask you to keep us holy until the next appointed time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, everyone. We'll talk with you again next Wednesday night. Good night. Good night. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 745 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.